0: I wanna give you a little backdrop before we launch into, we're gonna tackle the whole first chapter of Ephesians this morning. And so here's the backdrop. Paul is writing about 62 AD to a church that he loves, a church that is caught in the tension political tensions, racial tensions, religious tensions, Um, it's a city that is becoming more cosmopolitan, there's witchcraft and sorcery and all kinds of other crazy things happening, they're becoming wealthier and so there's this just mix of stuff happening and in the midst of all that they're becoming more libertarian in nature, ideologies are starting to come out that are differing from kind of like the largest demographic of, of religious thought process and so now Paul has this church that is being birthed, this beautiful church that finds itself in the middle of of all this, and that is why last week I said I believe this letter is so important for our time, our culture, our society right now, because Ephesus was a lot like what we're dealing with now, like that, that, that's what it was, and so with the, uh, with the tensions that they found themselves in, they're trying to figure out like how does, and I don't know if you ever thought this way before, but like how does faith, how does Jesus really work in this, like today, how does that work? And I, I think one of, the, one of the missions that we have here at The Well is I want to help people figure out faith for now. Like how, how does that work? Because I don't know about you, but I feel tension sometimes. I feel tension with what I believe and what I see and in and the world around me. And, and, and I'm trying to reconcile this and work it all out and go like, how do I help people see the goodness of God in a world that's not so good all the time? How do we help people wrestle through the things that they're facing and the the stuff that they're struggling with and and, and how do I help them see God in the midst of all that? And this was Paul's hope. This was Paul's mission to help the the, the church at Ephesus really do the same thing that we're trying to do nowadays. And and, and so that's where we find ourselves in this first chapter. And so we're going to cram a lot in. So I need you to put your listening ears on, class. All right? Because we're going to try to get through a lot in in this moment. And uh, whether you like your Bible or not, um, we're going to read a lot of it today. And so we're going to start. um, It's all going to be on the screen behind us as it comes up. And uh, so I'm going to blast through a lot so that we can walk through uh, this first chapter of Ephesians. So here we go, 23 verses. You ready? Come on, you guys ready? Here we go. And it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ, for he chose us in him. Before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured on us with wisdom and understanding. He made us known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ, as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ both things in heaven and things on earth in him in him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and when you also believed were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit he is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory this is why since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of this calling, what is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of His strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising Him from the dead and seating Him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given not only in this age but in the one also to come and he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as the head over everything for the church with his body the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way that is Ephesians 1 I got my education and I learned to read so you read that and you go man there's a lot there how do we put it together well Today, as we continue on in our series, Citizens and Saints, I want to speak to you for the subject, In Him, I pray, so that. In Him, I pray, so that. As we look at what we have in Christ and that which is necessary to acquire it. Will you pray with me just one more time? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, that it's active, that it's powerful, that it transforms us. God, we are all here today, a collection of people with all kinds of different upbringings and pasts all kinds of different situations that are currently facing us. We come together today in all of our differences, coming from all of these paths of life, to seek you, the unifier of all of it. And so God, I pray that you would speak to us collectively today. That you would speak to us individually today. That you would help us see what it is that you're doing in our lives. That you would help us see what it is that you're doing in our hearts. Our hearts are open. Our ears are listening to you right now. So speak to us in Jesus' mighty name. Come on and everybody shouted, "Amen!" Amen. I have uh, three kids, and uh, my son is is all boy. Uh, he started basketball on Saturday, which we're super excited about. Um, he doesn't know how to dribble, so there's a problem. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but we're going to get there um, His mom was yelling at him all day yesterday She's like, that's a, that's a carry, that's a carry And he's like, I don't even know what that means And she's like, rebound And he's like, what does that mean? And then she came home to me, she's like, you need to teach him And I was like, I don't know what rebound means So, <laughs> um, so he's, he's working there so I was traveling this week, we took off on, on Tuesday, did a quick trip to New York um, to meet a pastor friend of mine there to glean some wisdom and stuff like that from them on, uh, as, we, as we move into uh, new communities and everything like that here. And uh, so it was a quick turnaround. We were in on Tuesday, back here by Thursday afternoon, so the travel was insane. Well, while I was traveling, I got sick, pretty sick, so I was down on Friday pretty hard. And so when I got home, Erica quarantined me into the downstairs room, and uh, she's like, Dad's on quarantine, nobody go near him, and they literally didn't, and so I was like, this is actually kind of nice, and so, um, <laughs> and so I stayed in my room, I was, I was sick all day, I started feeling better on Saturday, quarantine was lifted, and, um, and so she said, kids, you can go talk to Dad for a little while, so my son came in, he's like, first thing he said, hey, Dad, are you coming on Saturday to watch my basketball game, and I was like, well, son, you're, you're just meeting your coats and just going to shoot the ball a little bit, he's like, okay, I'll see you later, and so he walked out. That was the extent of my conversation. Well, my daughter came in, and my daughter came in. She jumped up on my bed and got on her knees, and she says, hey, Dad, and she's all spunky, and I'm kind of like waking up from like a fog of Mucinex and Sudafed, and, and she's like, hey, Dad, guess what? And how many of you know you don't answer what at that point? But being the dad that I am, I was like, what? And she verbally assaulted me with her entire week. So I met a best friend on Tuesday. Her name's Malia. And Malia sat next to me. And Malia was really awesome right now. And we're just best friends now. And, and I learned how to write cursive. And cursive was really good. And then this boy, well, he, he said he liked me. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> That conversation lasted for like 20 minutes with no period in it. It was just like, go, 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 go. And this is what Paul's doing. I want, I want to read this to you. The Bible Knowledge Com- Commentary says this about the first chapter of Ephesians. In the Greek text, and I quote, verses 3 through 14 is one sentence, which is considered by some scholars to be the most cumbersome, cumbersome sentence in cumbersome um, <laughs> I'm still on mucinex. Um so is the most cumbersome sentence in the Greek language. One sentence. <laughs> one sentence that Paul just shoots, like he shoots out. Why? Because he wants the Ephesians to know what they have in Christ. He was so passionate about these people. He was so passionate about this church. He was so on fire for making sure that they had this information that when he starts to write this letter, he was like, they didn't, he didn't want them to stop reading it. Like, wh- where's the period going to be? They're just reading, 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 reading. When's he going to shut up? Like, he's just going through this thing because he wanted them to know what it is that they have in Christ. Yeah. Why? Because to go back to old ways of living, believing, behaving, and thinking was a very real temptation for these people, as much as it is for you and I. Knowing what we have in Christ is the antidote. Come on, somebody to retreat. Have you ever wanted to retreat before? You ever want to just kind of go? I'm like, I'm done living this way. This is hard doesn't matter how long you've been doing faith. Maybe you're still kind of kicking the tires on faith, and maybe you've been a Christ follower for a while now. I don't know where you're at in that journey, but if you're like me, come on, I've been doing this for a while now. I've been following Jesus for a while now, and there are still days where I'm just like, I don't want to do this. This is hard. And if a pastor can say that, come on. We're just trying to be real around here because I know there's a room full of us who look at our face sometimes and go, man, this is difficult. And for some of us who are trying, we're on the fence, we're trying to decide, like, that looks difficult. And so Paul's trying to say, listen, it's not as difficult if we understand what we have in Christ. And so he launches into this this massive, massive portion of Scripture that I want us to understand this morning. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at four in-him statements then Paul prays two things, and then from those two things, he prays them so that three things will happen. Does that work? So four in him statements, two things that he prays so that three things would happen in our lives. Hence the title of our message today. So I'm going to work through nine points in the next 27 minutes and 19, 18, 17 seconds. Here we go. Every shot number one for me. The first in him statement that we need to understand is the first thing he says is that in him we are chosen. In him we are chosen. This is a really cool word because this idea of being chosen actually means to be set apart. Set apart for a reason, for a purpose. It's to be removed, called out, picked out for something greater. And this is offered to all of us in Christ. That's why he says... Blesses the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. I love that. No matter where you're at this morning, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Think about that. That's awesome. That's pretty cool news. Because if you were never picked for the T ball team, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Just so you know, right? I remember one time, wall ball. How many of you guys remember wall ball? Yeah, like we used to play that back in the day when we played with real toys. Um, (laughs) instead of just the phone. And I remember not getting picked for wall ball, right? And I don't know why, I mean, like I'm just a stellar athlete. And so, I'm scraping that sarcasm thick this morning. (laughs) So I was left out of the wall ball, I didn't get picked. How many of you didn't get picked in wall ball? Like none of you, (laughs) oh shoot. (laughs) Or anything else. And so I'm standing there and I remember, I just remember like feeling like that thing that you feel when you don't get picked for something or you don't get an invitation. And I was just like this little kid with my head's down. I'm like, oh, what happened? Right? And I think many of us walk through life like that because we don't understand that we've been called to something. Yeah. And this is why Paul encourages us. He says, listen, you are, in, in Christ, you are chosen. In Christ, you have a rhyme and a reason and, and a purpose. You are, you are set apart. And because of that, it should cause a total change in countenance in who we are and how we live. Because you're, you're set apart. So that's the first in him statement that he makes is that we are chosen. The second one, of shot number two. In him, we are redeemed. In him, we are redeemed. A great way to look at redemption or to be redeemed is this. To be made new to be made new. Come on, show of hands, no liars in here this morning. How many of you love new things? Come on, yep, all right. If you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. All right, I promise. We all like new things. Now, I'm gonna go on record of saying this because it's been tagged on me a few times. I like shoes, I have more shoes than my wife, okay, it's just, I don't know why, it is what it is, and uh, my wife makes fun of me all the time, I like new shoes, I like the smell of new shoes, anybody know what I'm talking about, like when you open that box, yeah, like one of the youth, that's who's with me, um, <laughs> even worse is one of the youth girls, so uh, <laughs> we're good, So I like the (laughs) you open the box and there's just like that new smell of, I don't know, I I like it for some weird reason, and like some of you like new Tupperware, I don't know, like, whatever, my wife, she loves new knickknacks, like things that you put on mantles, you know what I'm talking about, like she comes home with like this bag, I got new mantle stuff, yay, right, like, we all like new and different things, some of you are technology people, but there's something about, in there, there's something about opening up something brand new brand new. When you open that iPhone for the first time, like right, and the angels sing, right, when you open the box, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever noticed that they make that box top really tight just so that the air kind of goes, woof, woof, right? <laughs> that's, that's why they do that. <laughs> why is it so tight? <laughs> and the apple goes, ping, and you're hooked. We like new things, but I don't know if you've ever said this In life before, man, this feels like it's getting old. Feels like this journey's getting old. Feels like this addiction's getting old. Feels like these things that I keep on, I'm frustrated with and I'm entangled with, it's getting old. And so Paul says, in Christ, we're redeemed. We are made new. It is the antidote for oldness. Stagnant life. We are offered something in Christ that allows us to step into something new. And I don't know if life has gotten old for you and the adventure is no longer the adventure. And what Christ is saying is, listen, is that in me, when your life is in me, you are awakened to new things, new possibilities, new realities in your life. I will make you new. I will make you new. Number three of shot. Number three. In him we are heirs. In other words, there's there's something that we have and are given in Christ, and specifically what he's talking about is a future beyond now. Heaven is our home. This is temporary. This is temporary. And that's good news. We're going to talk a little bit about this more in a minute in this message, but for some of us, we get, we get really funky with the whole eternity concept. And I think right now there's this predominant thought that's coming out, this new wave of teaching, so to speak, where we're trying to erase eternity. We're trying to erase this idea that is presented to us in Scripture. We can't do it because when we take away heaven and hell, we take away the power of the cross and the grave. And so Jesus simply becomes a crazy man who lived a good life for no reason. But what we're saying is that we are heirs to something greater and that's why he says in him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement for the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory we'll talk about that in a few more minutes number four every shot number four it's the last in him statement that Paul makes he says in him we are sealed in him we are sealed now I mentioned this in the first service and living in Utah there is a, a certain connotation that comes with certain words that we hear And and so I want to make sure that we clarify this term sealed is a biblical term that simply means this, to be marked by God. To be marked by God. How many of you wish that you would ever receive a letter with one of those red, like, candle stamps? Wouldn't that be dope? Like, that would be cool. Like, I just want all communications to me. Do not email me anymore. I want papyrus and little stamp, okay? (laughs) If you have a complaint, send it that way. At least I'll read it that way, okay? Um, And it's super cool. But this is what Paul's simply saying. He's like, that seal, it's a marking. It says that this is official. So what Paul is saying is that in Christ we are sealed. We are marked by God. That means there's something that's on your life that's designating, listen, I am property of Jesus. I love that. You know, I try to mark my daughter and my son. I want them to know who they are, first and foremost, in Christ. But then I want them to know who they are as a parish, I want my daughter to be marked in such a way, so when Joe comes along, it's like, hey girl, and she's like, no, boy, right? Yeah. That's, what, that's what I want. I want her to be so marked that she knows you no, know, there's something greater for me, who I am in Christ, who I am in this family. I know that my dad loves me, I know that my mom loves me, I know that I have a purpose, and so when things come our way, I am marked by God. There is a reason and a rhyme on my life. There's an indication that I belong to Jesus. And for some of us, we're missing what it means to belong. We're missing what it feels like to belong, and that's what it means to be marked by God. And so the four in him statements are super powerful. In him we are chosen, in him we are redeemed, in him we are heirs, in him we are sealed. So then Paul goes on, right? Paul goes on to say, listen, now that we know who we are in Christ, I want to pray a couple things over you. That brings us to the I pray part. So let's watch what he prays. He prays this. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's the first one. That we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In other words, his prayer is, in order to understand these in him statements, is that we need to know God more. We need to know God more. But not just a knowledge-based understanding of God. An experiential-based knowledge of God. That is why we actually worship, because come on, like in many certain moments, I've watched some of you in here, like over the past couple weeks especially, there's just been this really, really cool presence of God in our services, I've watched people cry, i watch watched people are excited, i watch watched people sing, who shouldn't be singing, but they sing anyways, right? People were lifting their hands. Why? Because you're experiencing the presence of God. We need to know God, of course, fundamentally and, and, and from a mental understanding. But we need to know God experientially as well. Because I I know a lot of Christians who know a lot about God, but they don't know God. There's a lot of people running around spitting out knowledge of God, but you've never experienced God. Come on, somebody. And there's a difference when you experience his love and know him and then wrap it in with what we know about him. That's why I love the song that we're singing, I'm a child of God. I am who he says that I am. Right? Because I know that in theory, but then I experience that as he lavishes his love upon us. Not only do I know it, but then I experience it so I operate in it. I'm a child of God. We don't need more book knowledge. We need a personal and experiential knowledge of Jesus as well. This is why we encourage table groups and Bible reading and prayer and worship. These things help us grow in the knowledge of Jesus. I love getting to, I've been married for 13 years now. 13 years, I've known my wife for 20 plus years and I'm still getting to know her. Like I'm still figuring out new ways to make her laugh. Still figuring out new ways to communicate to her. I told her yesterday we were sitting down and we hadn't really talked for like an entire week because of travel and everything else that was going on and I was in quarantine and so finally I came upstairs and I said something and it made her laugh and the type of joke that it was doesn't normally make her laugh but she laughed this time and I looked at her and I was like I love it when I get to be able to make you laugh. Why? We're discovering new things about us. We're discovering new elements of who we are and and as our personalities come out more, and as we get even more, com- even after 13 years, there's still levels of butterflies that we both have with each other, and, and we want to get comfortable in this area, but not too comfortable so that we can continue to experience each other more. That is the same knowledge that Paul is saying we should have of God. <laughs> Think about that. What would happen to our worship if I came in here with the same awe and reverence as I did from day one yes. with Jesus? But isn't this how it works sometimes? We come to Jesus and we're super excited, right? Like the first time we come to Jesus, we're like, oh my, so good! We worship and we're excited and we're in church and we're taking notes, copious amounts of notes, and then your Bible starts to look like this and you're excited and you're meeting people and you're sitting on the front row and everything like that. And then you're, then, you're, then you're year and a half, two years into your walk with Jesus and all of a sudden this is collecting a little bit more dust. And now I'm just like, oh, well, they've done that song like four or five times. That song just doesn't get me anymore. It <laughs> doesn't, doesn't hit my heart anymore. Right? And so now you're sitting like in the fourth row because you don't like the spit zone in the first row. (laughs) Right? And it's like, oh, the coffee's a little bit burnt at church this time. I don't know. And then so then we're four years into our relationship with Jesus, and this is completely closed. And now it's simply like, man, I don't don't know. It's not deep enough for me anymore. And now we're sitting in the back, and these guys don't get me and I just don't connect with anybody anymore, and so on and so forth. Paul's saying if we... Walk towards Jesus with an element of butterfly to know him more. Our walk is ever progressive with him. And I think one of the reasons that the Christian church has lost its power in the generation is because we've lost our passion for Jesus. That's why we do what we do around here. That's why we worship so passionately. When passion goes, so goes the church. I don't ever want my walk with Jesus to become unpassionate. I never want to be in the place where I'm not getting to know Him anymore. There are certain parts where I still weep as I open up this Bible. And I read what is written for me. And I'm like, God, are you kidding me? Like, that's dumb. (laughs) But you did it. That's the type of knowledge that we need to have. It's not just theological knowledge. I've said this before. Jesus didn't die for theology. He died for you and me. Yes. That's experiential right there. It's because he loved you that much. So the first thing that Paul then prays, he says, look, these four in him statements, in order to get that, to really get it, the first thing you need, and I pray this over, is the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And the second one is this, is that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. Ephesians one eighteen. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now, Matthew Henry puts it like this: He's a commentator, and he says Christians should not think it enough to have warm affections, but they should labor to have clear understandings. They should be ambitious of being knowing Christians and judicious Christians. See, the common teaching of the day was that the heart was the seat of our mind, our will, and our emotions. So Paul wasn't praying that our actual heart would become enlightened. He was praying that all the faculties of our lives would become enlightened, so that we could see all that we have in Christ and so operate in it. Isn't that what we do? Come on, parents in the house? Isn't that what we would do with our kids? We want them to see how good they have it. Right? Even if you don't have kids, you know what I'm talking about, because you were a kid at one point or another. And if you think back to what our parents tried to do for us, they were constantly trying to see, like they were constantly trying to help us see how good we have it. Maybe your mom or dad even said that to you. Do you know how good you have it? And then of course you'd be like, no, <laughs> right? Well, let me show you right? And so their whole journey as a parent, I feel like that's what it is, it's like, and I've said it, I've caught myself saying like, I'm that dad now, like, and, and she's that mom now. Do you know how good you have it? And then you'd say, like, there's starving children in Africa. And I was like, did I just say that? Because we want them to see how good they have it. And this is why Paul says, I want your heart to be enlightened, because I want you to see how good you have it with Jesus. Because some of us are so tempted to go back to these old things thinking that's better. That the grass is greener on the other side. The problem with the grass being greener is that many times we don't realize that there's a septic tank underneath it. So we're like, oh, that grass looks green. I wanna hop over there. I want to go back to that relationship. I wanna go back to that addiction. I wanna go back to that thing. I wanna go back to that attitude. I wanna go back to that disposition. I wanna go back to that fear because it's it's comfortable and it's nice and, and and I know how to I know how to work with that a little bit more. But Christ is saying, no, 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 listen, I want your heart to be enlightened because when you see how good you have it in me, there is no temptation strong enough to make you hop back over that fence because you are set free in me. You are a chosen one in me. You a child of God in me, and I've got a plan and a purpose and a future for you. The grass is greener on the side with Jesus. So we need the eyes of a heart and mind. So he makes four in him statements, then he prays two things over them, and he prays those things because he wants three more things to happen in our life. He says, I pray these things so that, and this is how we're gonna end. This afternoon, I want to look at three so that statements. So you guys tracking with me so far? We're just walking through Ephesians now. Everybody shout number one for me. The first so that statement is this, so that we would know the hope of his calling. So that we would know the hope of his calling. I love that there's hope in his calling. As one author put it, the will of God does not function as a ruthless bulldozer crushing and forcing into obedience any who resist. That's not the will of God. But many of us, one of the greatest reasons people fear following Jesus is because of what they think he's going to call them to. Right? Man, I don't know. If I follow Jesus, like, oh, he's going to call me to, like, live in Antarctica and, like, evangelize seagulls and pigeons and whatever else. There's not even pigeons there. I don't know what he's going to have me do. Penguins. It's a pea. I don't know, I mean, I, I, I love to sing and I feel like if I, if I give it to Jesus, then he, you know, like he's gonna make me get up there and I don't, li- I don't wanna be in front of people. I don't know, I'm really passionate about, about this thing and I think he's gonna call me to a place where I'm never gonna make money and I'm just gonna be destitute all my life. I remember when God really first started dealing with us to, to make the move to come plant in Salt Lake City and he asked me this question, he said, hey, that's how he speaks to me. Hey. <laughs> Are you okay with living on the backside of the desert in complete and total anonymity, but changing a city? And I was like, nope. I'm not. <laughs> Come on, I'm human. Like, y- your, your faith filled pastor was like, no, not at all. Why? Because we all want applause, don't we? I want an accolade. And we were doing some cool things in Phoenix and we were excited about it. And I was like, God, don't you see what, like, don't you see this? This is pretty cool right now. Like, this is comfortable, this is nice. And it was like, hey, are you okay with being on the backside of the desert in complete and total anonymity, but changing a city? And I wish I could tell you that I was, like, super spiritual, like, awesome. I was like, yeah, right away, God, let's do this. It took me three months to wrestle through that. Right, and I was just like, oh, God, I don't know, like, Salt Lake City, it's like, it's where my family's from, and I love it there, and I love them, and but man, this is gonna be hard, like, planning a church, and just, like, dropping in, and doing this, and man, is anybody, oh, I don't know, and like, man, you gotta fundraise, and do all this stuff, and, like, make this thing happen, and then you gotta actually lead, and that sucks, and so <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, and, like, people, and they've got opinions, and stuff like that, and I'm really just a geek, and so God's like, I'm gonna send you a messenger named Erica, and... <laughs> My wife, and so she's like, Jason, what is God saying to you right now? I'm like, nothing. He doesn't speak to me. What are you talking about? (laughs) He's not asking me to do anything. And I had to wrestle with calling. Many times we see the call of God and the will of God for our lives as a dictatorial, regimented, and forced imposition upon our lives. The truth is, is, is that we work with God. There's hope in our calling. Or there's hope that's associated with our calling in Him. To be called by God, to be set apart. It's what gives us a great hope. And many of us are afraid of that. We're afraid of what it looks like to be called out by God. We're afraid of what it looks like to be removed out of certain things. Because of what we lose. Failing to realize everything that we gain by walking in the calling of God in our lives. So the first so that statement he makes is that he prays these things so that we would know the hope of his calling. The second thing is this, is so that we would know the wealth of his inheritance. I love that. Paul now shifts his attention to the future, eternity. And this is a central theme throughout the entirety of this letter. Paul desires us to understand that we have hope in Christ. A future beyond the now. And this is why he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55, he says, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Eternity. I don't know if you've ever asked the, yourself this question before, but... How many, show of hands, come on, like, you can raise your hand in church, it's okay. How many of you have ever been stressed before? Just stressed out, come on, like, to the max, just stressed to the nines. Yeah, a lot of us in here, most of us in here, we've been stressed out. For those of you who have never been stressed out, can you please come talk to me after service, because I want to know your secrets, okay? Um, but here's what I've learned about stress. Here's what I've learned about fretting about things. You ever fretted about things, right? Have you ever known that you were going to have a conversation like you were getting ready for a conversation and so you built that conversation up in your mind like the day before thinking well like if they're gonna say this I'm gonna say this and when they say this I'm gonna counter with this and everything like this and this is how the conversation's gonna go I got him right I do that every time I have to argue with my wife because <laughs> she's so good so we stress ourselves out we fret over tomorrow and here's what I've come to learn when we start taking today's issues and holding them against the mirror of eternity, we start to see how big or how small that issue really is. And this is what Paul is saying. Our tomorrow should help us navigate our todays because it puts everything in right perspective. And some of the things that we're stressing about in life, if we just hold it against eternity. In the scheme of eternity, here's a question. If you're taking notes today, write this question down because it'll help you out. In the scheme of eternity, does it matter? Marriages, that'll save your marriage. In the scheme of eternity, does this issue matter? Like, which way the toilet paper rolls, does it matter? Some of you are like, yes. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) We offer marriage counseling here. Sign up in the lobby. (laughs) I know it's hard to reason sometimes, but in the scheme of eternity... Does the frustration at that job matter, or can we deal with it? So the frustration with this and that and the things that cause fret and worry and stress in our lives? Some of us are so fixated, think about this, on making the now everything that it can be because we're so afraid of the end of it all. Many of us have a really hard issue with finality, death. Not to bring it down to like a low level in here, but it's the truth, isn't it? We struggle with that. And so we do everything in the world to counter it. We do everything in the world to stave it off and make sure that we don't go there as fast. But the bottom line is, is like Paul says, this world, this moment, this life, is just but a blip. It's a blip. So seize the day hold it in relationship to heaven and say, man, there's a greater day ahead, so I'm going to live my life with that reality. I'm not going to let things get me down so much. I'm not going to freak out as much. I'm not going to stress out as much because in the scheme of eternity it doesn't matter because I've got a home waiting for me. Come on somebody, can I get a good amen this morning? And the last one is this, number three, the the last so that statement is so that we would know, (laughs) I love this, the immeasurable greatness of His power. Ephesians 1, verse 19, all the way to 23, says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength? He exercised his power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him head over everything in the church, which is the body, the fullness, Of the one who fills all things in every way. Paul then buttons it all up by stating how all this is possible. The power of God. I don't know if you've ever understood or seen raw power in action. Many of us operate in life based with the assumption that it's my power that gets me through this life. It's my ability that gets me through this life. But I've come to realize in the years that I've been walking with Jesus, that I live, move, and breathe in His power. It's His presence in my life. Because how many of you would be honest with me this morning? We all face situations and circumstances that are far beyond our power, right? Far beyond our ability. Far beyond the things that I'm capable of close with this illustration. Have you ever been made to look weak? All the guys will be like, no, not at all. Mm-mm. I remember one day sitting in our kitchen. This happened actually just recently. <clears throat> Erica yells from across the, she's in the kitchen, I'm in the living room. She says, hey babe, can you, can you come pop open this pickle jar? She didn't even try it. She's just was like, hey babe, can you come get open this pickle jar? And I was like, yes, of course I can, right? every guy does, like this is your moment to shine over the pickle jar. So I came in and grabbed the top of the pickle jar, started to just wrench that thing and guys you know what I'm talking about right? You're like turn around. I couldn't get the stupid pickle jar open. And then I stopped I was like oh that was my left hand. So I'm trying, I'm just wrenching this thing and I'm trying to open this thing and I could not get it open. And she goes, give me the stupid pickle jar. So she goes and she like, she's like daintily, like stands over it, like pops the thing open. I was like, of course it would open up right there. I loosened it for you, right? And I don't know what it is, but like in that moment, like every ounce of ego and pride has been like stripped from my life. And I literally go like, wow, am I like that weak, right? You question everything. Have you ever had somebody make you look weak before? This is actually the picture, the biblical picture that Paul wants us to understand. This is why he would talk about it in Corinthians. And he says, when I'm at my weakest point, he's at his strongest point. We are actually supposed to be weak in the eyes of God. Why? Because in our greatest weakness, he becomes our greatest strength. And that's why Paul says, I pray these things. What you are in him, I pray over you so that you would know all of these things. But you got to understand something. This last one, that in Christ, you have a power like no other. You will be weak. You will fall short. There will be issues. But in Christ, when you are at your weakest, you are actually at your strongest. Pickle jar faith. It's pickle jar faith. If you didn't get anything else out of today, just walk out of here going, I need some pickle jar faith up in here. Because there is one who's stronger than you. You can't do it on your own. You weren't meant to do it on your own. You were meant to do it with Christ. Because in Christ, in Him, in Him, we have everything that we need. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 23 is probably the most theological part of Ephesians. Next week, as we launch into chapter two, it's gonna get a lot more topical in nature. It's gonna get a lot more personal. I wanna prepare you for that because we're gonna dig into some really cool stuff around here over these next few weeks. So I wanna encourage you, next week, bring a friend, invite somebody, get here next week. But I pray today, I pray this, is that in Him, we would get some of these things so that we would understand some stuff. Four in Him statements, two prayers, three so that's. I pray that you got something out of today. Come on, would you stand your feet with me this morning?